Ahoy mateys! Welcome to Podcasts of the Caribbean, a podcast covering the world of Pirates of the Caribbean, from the movies, to books, to theme parks, to everything in between. My name is Justin Helmer, and I will be your host on this voyage through the Caribbean. It be too late to alter course, mateys, and there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove, waiting to board. Sit closer together and keep your ruddy hands inboard. That be the best way to repel boarders. And mark well me words, mateys, dead men tell no tales. <laughs> Welcome back to Podcasts of the Caribbean. This is a very exciting episode because this is the first episode of season two. Um, so, of course, the first season of the podcast, uh, we covered the first three Pirates of the Caribbean movies in pretty extensive detail. So make sure you go back and listen to those if you haven't already. Um, but in this episode, we're going back in time. And we're going back way before 2003 in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. We're going all the way back to the 1960s to cover the creation of what started it all. The Pirates of the Caribbean dark ride attraction that opened at Disneyland in Anaheim, California on March 18, 1967. So to begin covering the inception of this ride, we have to start with the man himself, Walt Disney. This is what we call New Orleans Square. And here's a picture of it from the riverfront as it will look when it's finally finished. And... All these little streets are going to be very intriguing, little shops and things, and people can wander around in there. And then in here, we have a special attraction. We call it the uh, Blue Bayou Lagoon. And people are going to get on a boat here and ride through the lagoon. And then as they get around here, we're going to take them down a waterfall and take them back into the past, into the days of the... The pirates, you know, where the whole Caribbean area was full of pirates and they were always sacking towns and things. And you believe in pirates, of course. Oh, yes. Oh, you want to see some? Love to. Right over here. We'll meet them. Disneyland opened on July 17, 1955, in Anaheim, California, and immediately Walt Disney began drafting new ideas with his team for new rides and attractions for the park. He formed a new company called Wed Enterprises, um, which is now known as Walt Disney Imagineering today, and that was composed of his top animators and artists who are already worked at the Disney Studios, uh, making you know, the animated films and everything for the company. But very early on, uh, Walt and his team began planning the first major land expansion for Disneyland, um, which would become known as New Orleans Square. And the two attractions that would be housed in this area would be a pirate-themed attraction and a haunted house attraction. Of course, we'll be focusing on the pirate ride because, well, this is podcast of the Caribbean. Um, but of course, the haunted house attraction became the haunted mansion. The original concept for the pirate ride, however, is not the boat ride that we know today. Instead, it was originally conceptualized as a wax museum, um, kind of similar to like Madame Tussauds, if you've ever been to one of those places. Um, so you'd walk through this museum and you would see different show scenes depicting pirates and like different things they were doing. Um, so some of the scenes that were proposed um, were in like a tavern and there were pirates um, that were fighting and drinking. Um, there was another proposed scene that was a conscription um, with a newcomer joining the pirate crew. But something kind of similar to that, that was the original idea for the pirate attraction. Um, but the Wax Museum idea was changed, however, after the success Disney had at the 1964-1965 World's Fair in New York. So if you aren't familiar, uh, Disney brought multiple different shows and rides to the fair to entertain guests and house the sponsors for the fair. Um, two of these shows, the one, one of them being Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, and the other being the Carousel Progress, which you can both... Um, see in Disney parks still to this day. Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln is in Disneyland, and you can still see Carousel Progress in Walt Disney World in Florida. Uh, but these two shows were the first attractions to showcase human animatronic figures. So of course Disney debuted their audio animatronics in the Enchanted Tiki Room attraction back in 1963. 
Um, but the shows at the fair were the first to incorporate the audio animatronic technology with human looking figures. So this led to the first major change in the pirate ride concept, which pivoted away from the static figures and making them actually audio animatronics. So the scenes would therefore come to life and they would act out the scene instead of being completely static. Um, but this concept was also not working. Um, but it was the next idea that would completely change the entire concept of the ride so far. So as I mentioned, the New York World's Fair was huge for Disney. Another one of the rides they brought to the fair um, was the now famous or infamous uh, It's a Small World. So It's a Small World, of course, is a boat ride. Um, and after seeing how well performed at the fair, Disney decided to change the pirate concept from a walkthrough to a ride. And this is where the project really began to pick up steam. So before the ride was changed to a boat ride, they were already beginning work on the wax museum idea. So the wax museum would have been housed in a basement under one of the buildings in New Orleans Square. And once the ride was changed to a boat ride, the space that was originally planned for the attraction was deemed way too small. So the Imagineers came up with a solution. This idea they proposed was to begin the ride in the basement area and then have a waterfall drop in the track to get the guests under the berm as surrounded Disneyland um, and move them into a large show building outside of the park for the ride to take place in. So if you're ever wondering why there's two drops in the Disneyland version of the ride, it's because you're going underneath, you're going um, below ground into the basement, going underneath the, uh, the berm and the perimeter of Disneyland into the main show building of the ride. So development on the Pirates ride was starting to pick up. It's now a boat ride, um, and with the system down, it was time to develop the characters and the story that would complement your ride through the Caribbean. So let's talk about some key people who brought this ride to life. So we'll start with Disney legend Mark Davis. If you're a Disney fan, you probably know who this guy is, uh, but let me tell you a little bit about him. So Mark Davis was an artist who worked at Disney, and he was an animator on classic films like Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, just to name a few. Uh, he was the supervising animator on iconic Disney characters like Cruella de Vil, Aurora, and even Maleficent. Um, and I encourage you to learn more about Mark because he's seriously such a talented artist. Um, but after Disneyland opened in 1955, uh, Walt Disney personally recruited Mark from the animation department and had him join Wet Enterprises, of course, which is um, Walt Disney Imagineering. And after wowing Walt with his new additions to the Jungle Cruise ride, um, Walt asked Mark to work on the, the, uh, the new Pirates attraction that was being developed. So Mark began to create concept after concept for the original version of the ride, which, if you remember, was a wax museum. And after the ride was changed to a boat ride, uh, Mark continued making concepts for the scenes and characters that will later appear in the finished ride. Um, it cannot be understated how important Mark Davis's art was to this ride. His artwork and his concepts were so effortlessly brought into real life in the ride, and I believe Mark is probably one of the biggest reasons that this ride has become a success. It, his, um, his art is just so beautifully translated into the real uh, human animatronic figures, and he really gave it that iconic look. So Mark did the artwork, um, but who was the one who took his art and made it three-dimensional? Well, that was Disney legend Blaine Gibson. Blaine was also an animator at the Disney studio, and he worked on movies like Bambi, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, and even Sleeping Beauty. And similar to Mark Davis, uh, Blaine was also picked by Walt to join Imagineering, um, as the head of the new sculpting studio. So Blaine would initially take the sketches from artists like Mark Davis um, and sculpt small figurines first to show the characters in 3D. Um, sort of like how maquettes are made for animators to help animate their characters. Um, and then of course, Blaine and the rest of the sculptors would mold and sculpt the full-scale figures um, that would be installed in the ride. And since they were animatronic figures, they had to sculpt the skin to pretty much wrap onto the skeletons of the animatronic. So they would do, you know, face molds and everything like that and put them on the, the lifeless robots. Um, so now we've designed the characters. We've created them in real life. Um, all that's left to do is dress them like pirates. And who better to create these costumes than Mark Davis's wife, Disney legend Alice Davis. 
Um, Alice began her career at Disney when she was brought in to create costumes for the dolls in It's a Small World. And after that project was completed, she was assigned to the new pirate ride. And she got to work with her husband, Mark, um, who of course was doing the concept art, and Alice would take Mark's art and create the costumes. And designing costumes for robots is way harder than designing them for humans. Um, because the animatronics only moved, you know, in their specific range of motion. Um, the clothes were designed with Velcro to help easily dress the characters, so they were kind of like separate pieces that were kind of um, Velcroed together when they were being put on the animatronics. So with the characters now completed, we now need to add the Caribbean backdrop. Um, and this is where another Disney legend comes in, and that is Claude Coates. Um, Claude Coates was a background painter at the Disney studio, and he worked on Snow White, he worked on Cinderella, Peter Pan, and more. Um, and he joined Imagineering, and he began working on the backgrounds and the sets for the pirate attraction. Um, and I love this quote from Claude where he says, I always realized from working in backgrounds that the story is the thing. The animation then is what really tells the story. The background has to support all that. It has to add the proper mood and give the characters the proper space and lighting to work in. But the backgrounds had to be balanced carefully. You can't make them overdone to the point of being distracting. So with the sets and backgrounds being created, as well as the characters being assembled, it was now time to write a script and a story for the attraction. And that is where another Disney legend comes in, um, and that is Francis Xavier Atencio, uh, more commonly known by his nickname, Exitensio. Um, and of course, we've talked about him a little bit at the very beginning of the podcast. Um, so Walt Disney gave X the task of writing a script for the ride. Um, and X had no script writing background. Um, so this was completely new for him. So he prepped by watching a ton of old pirate movies to really get in the mood um, and kind of understand kind of the pirate dialogue and everything. And um, after he wrote the dialogue for the characters in the numerous scenes, um, X also had the idea to create a song for the ride. And the most important thing about the song was to make it feel like it had no beginning or ending, because you would hear the song at different points in the ride, um, depending on when you would come into that scene. So Exitensio, along with uh, composer George Bruns, created the now iconic song, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me. Uh, which, of course, was featured in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, and the song has, you know, pretty much become an iconic piece of, you know, pirate music. And it's very, very cool um, that this was when it was created. It's such an iconic song now. So I've highlighted a few of the very important people in this ride's construction, um, but there are plenty more people I could talk about. Um, but I'll just mention some of them here very quickly. So we have Leota Toombs, who helped with the costuming. We have Yale Gracie, who created the special effects, including the burning town scene at the end of the ride. Uh, Waithel Rogers, who helped actually um, program the animatronics. Uh, Bill Justice, Ken O'Brien, Harriet Burns, um, and many more talented people that helped bring this ride to life. So if you're interested, I recommend you look up these people, learn more about them. They are very awesome people. They've done some really incredible stuff in their careers, not just at Disney, but in their careers um, away from Disney as well. So by 1966, Pirates of the Caribbean, as it was now known, um, was almost ready for opening. And as the Imagineers put the finishing touches on the ride, they were hit with a devastating blow. And on December 15th, 1966, Walt Disney died from lung cancer, which he'd been battling for a few years. And without their leader and so close to opening, the Imagineers were completely lost on what to do. Walt Disney's death didn't just hit the company hard, it was felt all over the world. Uh, but the Disney company pressed on through the grief, and Pirates of the Caribbean soft opened on March 18, 1967, and had its official opening the following month. The ride was instantly a hit and very quickly became Disneyland's most popular attraction, and over the years it has changed and upgraded, um, including you know, Jack Sparrow and elements from the movies, um, in a refurbishment in 2006 to coincide with the release of Dead Man's Chest. And if you couldn't tell, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, it's obviously my favorite Disney ride. Um, every time I go to Disneyland or Disney World, I have to go on this ride. It, 
you know, I have to. It's what originally got me interested in pirates back when I was a little kid. Um, so I'll always love this ride and be thankful for, you know, getting me interested in pirates and the kind of mythology and everything. And of course the movies. Um, so now of course we've covered the history of the ride, um, very briefly and some of the notable people involved in its creation. Um, and I hope you learned, um, at least something new about the uh, wonderful story behind this attraction. But now we're going to take our own trip um, on one of those boats and cruise back into the days of pirates and swashbucklers as we take a ride through Pirates of the Caribbean. So let's get ready to set sail as we begin where the story starts at the Port of New Orleans. So, if you are familiar with Disney attractions, the story actually starts in the the waiting line, the queue for the ride. So, we start at a building in New Orleans Square, which is where the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction is housed. Um, and as you wind through the outdoor part of this queue, there is a cool dedication plaque that was added for the 30th anniversary of the ride in 1997. Um, and it lists a lot of Imagineers and other people who were very instrumental in bringing the ride to life. So some of the people we talked about and some others as well that we didn't mention. Um, but it's really cool because a lot of Disney attractions don't have dedication plaques. So it's one of the only ones to really have something like that, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but once you make your way into this building, um, you get to see some boats passing by right in front of you, um, which are guests that are coming off the ride. So what you're seeing immediately as you go inside the building is the end of the ride. And behind those boats, you can see a little little show scene of kind of like a pirate flag, some treasure and a parrot um, to kind of prepare you um, and get you in the mood for the ride. And as you walk through this in inside queue, getting to dock um, on your boat, there are some cool portraits of real pirates depicted um, in Mark Davis's art style. Um, so, of course, we have some of Francis Verney. We have one of Henry Mainwaring. We have one of Charles Gibbs. And we've got one of Ned Lowe. And we also have one of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Now, of course, they are all real pirates. Um, none of them are featured in this attraction, but it's cool to have them there stylized in uh, Mark Davis's art style. And then, um, once the attraction was refurbished to add stuff from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, they also added portraits of Jack Sparrow and uh, Hector Barbosa. So that's pretty cool. As you walk through the queue, you can see those famous pirates on the wall. But once we get actually inside um, and we go through, we get to an area called Lafitte's Landing. Now, this is um, sort of meant to resemble a... Um, a, a small kind of dock in the middle of a Louisiana bayou, because of course that's where we are. We're in New Orleans. Um, so we're going down to the bayou. So the reason this dock is called Lafitte's Landing is because it's connected to the real-life pirate Jean Lafitte. Um, the spelling of the name on the sign Lafitte's Landing and his actual last name is not the same. There's an extra F in the sign on the ride, um, which is kind of weird, but um, it's made to kind of connect the worlds of real piracy and this actual attraction together and start to kind of form an actual coherent story. Um, and of course, outside, back in New Orleans Square outside, there is an actual anchor um, from one of Jean Lafitte's ships. And if you don't know anything about Jean Lafitte, um, he was a real-life pirate um, who pretty much... Um, was the scourge of the Gulf of Mexico. And he uh, constantly hired lawyers from New Orleans to kind of acquit him of his piracy charges. Um, and a really cool thing about John Lafitte is he actually fought against the British with Andrew Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, but also he ended up becoming a spy for the Spanish um, to crush piracy in the Caribbean. So uh, he kind of turned on everyone at the end there, but 
it is cool to have kind of that cool pirate connection um, in there as well. So we board our boat um, at Lafitte's Landing in the bayou, um, and once we um, are shoved off, we start moving through this bayou, which is just absolutely incredible that this whole entire bayou scene is housed inside, but it doesn't really seem like you're inside. I feel like it's, even if you, especially if you go on this ride at night and you get to this bayou scene, you probably honestly think you were outside. Um, but that is, of course, attributed to the amazing Yale Gracie, who um, did all the special effects for this ride, and he is just incredible. So, of course, as we go down this blue bayou, as it's called, if you look to the right, you will actually see a restaurant called the Blue Bayou, um, which you can also get a reservation for and eat there. And if you eat at this restaurant, if you look to your left, you can actually see... Um, the Blue Bayou scene from Pirates of the Caribbean. So it's a really cool indoor restaurant um, where you can actually see the beginning of the ride and people going through it. It's a very, very unique experience. I have not eaten there myself, but it, I really want to at some point. Um, and they also have something like this um, in Shanghai Disneyland um, for their Pirates of the Caribbean ride, which is a completely different ride based on the movies. And we'll get to that in a separate episode. But as we go through this blue bayou, it's such a serene, very peaceful place. Um, there's crickets. There's um, it's just it's it's so serene. And then you pass by some shacks. Um, you pass by a houseboat, and um, you're kind of cruising through um, the bayou of of Louisiana back in the 1800s. And a lot of these um, effects here are very cool and very simply achieved, like the fireflies in the background. Um, they're actually just fiber optic light um, lighting fixtures at the end of a wire that's being kind of blown by a fan. Um, that kind of achieves that firefly effect, which is just, it looks so convincing in the actual ride. Um, but we come across, down the bayou, we come across a shack um, and there is a lone, um, a lone man kind of rocking on a chair, um, and a lot of people think he's playing a banjo, but he's not playing a banjo. Uh, there's just a banjo coming from somewhere in this scene that is actually um, playing to the tune of Camp Town Races. So as we go through this neat little scene, it kind of sets the stage and kind of um, begins our journey back into history. So we're starting off in New Orleans Square where we are in the park um, and now we are um, once we pass the shack with the the man in the rocking chair we start to hit a dark kind of a dark hallway um, as we pass by another another um, a building in the bayou and we hear something in the distance um, and as we turn the corner we see a light shine on the top wall above the boat um, and we see a talking skull um, and this is of course um, what he's known as Captain X is his semi-official name um, and he's of course named Captain X because he's voiced by Exitensio um, who wrote the script and also wrote the song uh, Yo-Ho Pirate's Life for Me so he voices the skull here um, and if you've not made the connection, this skull with the two swords under it was the inspiration for the iconic, the now iconic Pirates of the Caribbean logo with the skull and the two swords. Um, so that is where the inspiration for that came from. Um, and as we um, approach this skull, he begins to talk to us. Captain X begins to talk and he has this really cool spiel, which um, you heard earlier in the podcast. And he has two two separate spiels that maybe if you're lucky you'll hear both in one run or sometimes you'll hear one and then you'll hear another one. Depends on when you're coming into the scene. Um, but one of the ones he'll say is, He comes seeking adventure and salty old pirates, eh? Sure, you've come to the proper place. But keep a weather eye open, mates, and hold on tight. With both hands, if you please. There be squalls ahead. And Davy Jones waiting for them what don't obey. 
So once our boat goes under the skull, we go down the first of two drops in the ride. Uh, we go down a 52 foot drop at a 21 degree angle. Um, and we're, we go down into the sunken caverns slash haunted caverns slash dead man's grotto, whatever you want to call it. Um, we kind of cruise through a little area here and then we go down the second drop in the ride, um, which is 37 feet at the same 21 degree angle. Um, and now we are down in the original planned area for the wax museum, the uh, basement of the building that it was originally going to be in. So of course they had to use this space um, and they used this space to do the entire kind of prologue for the ride, which is the Dead Man's Grotto slash Haunted Caverns, um, which I really, really enjoy. I really love this part of the ride. But once we go down those first two drops, we get our first real show scene um, and that is the Dead Man's Cove area. So we come across this little beach and we see three dead pirates um, they have decayed and now there's just skeletons and their remaining kind of tattered clothes. And we see one, uh, skeletal pirate who is kind of just laying dead in the sand with a flintlock in hand. Um, there's another skeleton who is laying, um, laying on his stomach with a sword impaled on his back. And there is the, um, the most famous one of these three, which is the, the pirate that has been impaled on the rock um, and there is a seagull who has kind of made a nest in um, that pirate's hat. And I just love this um, this whole area, not just this one scene, this whole area. It really kind of sets the tone and sets the mood and really gets you into it. Um, and through this whole area, you just hear the constant dead men tell no tales um, echoing all around you this whole entire scene. Um, and it really kind of just gives you that kind of foreboding um, sense and it really prepares you for um, what's to come. So there's actually um, original dialogue that was recorded for this um, beginning part of the scene um, with the Dead Man's Grotto. And it was ultimately cut from the final attraction because they they, um, they were like, yeah, it probably speaks for itself. We don't need all of this narration and dialogue. But there was actually some dialogue recorded by Paul Fries and um, J. Pat O'Malley. Um, and since I have it here with me, I might as well read it. So we have two ghostly voices that speak to us through this um, deleted narration. And the first ghostly voice says... Hear ye a dead man's tale, o' oh, a dastardly deed. Brave seamen these, helped bury the gold they did, then silenced forever. So thought that black-hearted devil. But stay, I told their tale afore, now I be telling it again. Here be where the gold, dead men tell no tales. And then the second part of the narration, which is the second voice, um, says, Dead men tell no tales. Look there upon these pirates bold. Take heed whilst I tell ye the gruesome details of their slight misfortune, and the treacherous act what did them in. Unsuspecting rogues, unmindful. Dead men tell no tales. So, of course, that was all recorded, um, but at the end of, you know, before the ride opened, they're like, yeah, we don't really need it. So they cut all of that, and they just left the kind of foreboding dead men tell no tales that echoes throughout this scene. Um, and in development, um, it wasn't always going to be kind of this skeleton beach. There's a lot of concepts by Mark Davis that include living pirates in this scene as well. There's also some um, artwork with Mary Reed and Anne Bonny in this scene, um, but that was ultimately cut when they kind of went with just a fictitious pirate story. But we continue past um, Dead Man's Cove and we start to see um, some rain and a storm going in the distance. And as we go to investigate, our boat kind of pulls forward and we see this storm is raging, there's lightning, and we see we have reached Hurricane Lagoon. And this is where we see the another skeleton. We see um, the helmsman who is still gripped onto the wheel of his wrecked ship trying to steer it through an endless storm. 
and this is my favorite of the skeletal pirate scenes. Um, I don't know why. I've always loved the helmsman the most, uh, but I just love it. The the effects behind it, the lightning, the storm, very awesome. The wrecked ship, it's really, really cool. And in development, there was also going to be a another ship in the background that was firing at this one. There was kind of be a kind of a skeleton pirate battle happening, but that was cut and they just did the storm. Um, and I'll also bring up that when the ride first opened, all of these skeletons um, were actually real human skeletal corpses um, that were obtained from the UCLA Medical Center. Um, because Imagineering, they were trying to make fake skeletons and they just weren't coming across as real. They just looked too, too kind of phony. So they obtained these real skeletons from the UCLA Medical Center and used those. Um, but in a later refurbishment, when kind of the tech caught up and they could make realistic skeletons without having to use real corpses, um, all of the real skeletons were returned and given a proper burial um, in their country of origin, um, and they were replaced with Falk skeletons. Um, but there's still, of course, there's still um, that rumor that is going around that there's still one real skull left in the ride, and we'll get to that when we get to that scene. And there's also another piece of deleted narration here, and that is what poor Hulk lies smashed on the cruel rocks pounded by the angry sea. Who knows the gallant efforts of the wretched crew to save the ship? I know, cause I were there. Twas the royal fortune bound for the Spanish main with enough treasure aboard to dead men tell no tales. So you, you can get the dead men tell no tales part stayed, but they cut out the narration. But once we leave Hurricane Lagoon, we come across the crew quarters where we see a bunch of skeletons that have died um, in, from drinking too much. Uh, we have some skeletons that are playing chess, and then we also have some skeletons um, on the bar that are just drinking even in their death. So the one skeleton on the left is currently drinking the bottle and has the endless um, wine going through his um, corpse, and you can see it going through him. And that, of course, was brought into... Um, the Curse of the Black Pearl when Barbosa drinks uh, the wine after the Moonlight Serenade scene. Um, when Elizabeth sees the skeleton for the first time, he drinks that and it kind of goes through him. And that is this was where that was inspired from. Um, another piece of deleted narration that kind of explains... The thing I like about the deleted narration is that it kind of explains the scenes a bit more. Obviously, you don't really need a lot of ex explanation for dead dead pirates, but I kind of like giving kind of more of the, um, to kind of make the scenes feel more like there's, there's a story behind it, you know? Um, so the deleted narration for this scene was ship shaped this anchorage for pleasure seeking rogues. I, after months at sea facing the perils of their adventurous trade, they was inclined to traffic their ill-gotten wealth for the pleasure of a lovely lassie's voice. And speaking of a lovely lassie, if you look at the portrait that is um, on the wall behind the two drinking skeletons at the bar, you can see it's a portrait of a red-headed female pirate. Um, and now there's a lot of theories, of course, for this, but um, according to Mark Davis, who was the one who did that portrait, um, he portrayed the, um, the popular character of the redhead, who we see later in the ride. Um, and this is what she might appear as um, after joining the pirates ranks for many years. Um, and it's even more apparent because the portrait is actually titled um, A Portrait of Things to Come. And it's actually really funny because the redhead was changed to be a pirate in a very recent refurbishment a few years ago. So I guess it did happen. The, the redhead did become a pirate. And if you have an issue with that still, look, the portrait's been here for over 50 years, so. But I do like that a lot. 
And after we pass the crew quarters, um, if we look over to the left side, we get to see the captain's quarters. Um, and we see the captain laying in bed, um, currently trying to um, read a treasure map. And looks like he died trying to find out where it was. This is, of course, another Easter egg in On Stranger Tides, which we have not covered yet. Um, but when Jack and Barbosa go aboard the Santiago to find the chalices, um, they both jump in that bed, and there's um, Ponce de Leon in the bed with the magnifying glass and the map. So it's kind of a nice little reference to this scene. And as I said earlier, with the, um, the human skull that's rumored to still be in the attraction, if you look on the headboard of the bed, the large skull, um, the skull and crossbones, the large skull is rumored to still be a human skull, uh, but it still has not really been confirmed, so it's mainly just a rumor. But I love the captain's quarters scene, and of course this is a scene you can only see at Disneyland. This scene is not at the Disney World version of the ride. Um, same with the next scene we see, which is the treasure room. So we see a large room full of treasure, and this is, of course, the room that inspired uh, Isla de Muerta in Curse of the Black Pearl. And what's even really cool about this is in the 2006 refurbishment, um, which added Pirates of the Caribbean movie stuff into the ride, they actually added the screen used, like the, the real chest of Aztec gold into this ride, the actual screen used chest. So if you go through this scene, you pass by the treasure skeleton at the very end of the scene on the right side, you will see the chest of Aztec gold with all the Aztec coins in it. Um, and it's the actual one from the movie, the one that was used for filming. So it's really cool. They added that in to the ride. Um, so it's really awesome going through there and seeing that chest with the Aztec gold in there. Um, there's another piece of deleted narration for this scene, um, which is pretty baubles, think ye, and a king's ransom in gold. Aye, blood money, and cursed it be, cursed by the black-hearted rogues what left it. Who knows what evil spell lurks neath each cursed chest. And in that dialogue, it says that the, the gold is cursed, not the Aztec gold, but because that was added later, the original gold the skeleton is sitting on. Um, was apparently cursed treasure, and that is what kind of gave everyone the idea for the cursed treasure in the movie when they were developing the script for that. Um, so that is where the gold and the curse and everything came from this one very room, so very cool. And as we move away from the treasure scene, um, we get to a... We go down a very long, dark hallway, um, and um, before a recent refurbishment, this was just a bland, rocky, cavernous, very small and narrow um, passage you were going through. But in a recent refurbishment, they added a cool little transition um, that takes you from the, the dead, haunted caverns into the world of real living pirates. So, on the left side of the ride, you get to see a small little scene of a pirate who, or a skeleton pirate who was caught in a trap, he's holding a chest of gold, and he looks like a skeleton, but once you pass by him, there's actually a pane of glass on the front side um, where that rope is, there's a pane of glass that projects the entire skeleton, but once you pass by that halfway point, he becomes a full, whole, real pirate, um, which is really cool. A very cool um, effect to really kind of bridge the gap between the skeletons and the real pirates. And there's also a cool little octopus down in that little scene too with some gold. Um, and this is also where they would play that old dialogue. Um, this used to be in the ride, and I think they did add it back, I believe. Um, and this is kind of the the most famous part of the narration, the part of the narration they kept. Um, and that is, No fear have ye of evil curses, says you. Properly warned ye be, says I. Who knows when that evil curse will strike the greedy beholders of this bewitched treasure. 
So as we go through this very narrow passageway, we come out to a ginormous show-stopping scene with a pirate ship and a fort and a battle ensuing between them. And what's really cool is there was a reason that they had that kind of long passage. Uh, of course, it, there wasn't anything there when it first opened because that little scene with the pirate was added um, very recently, a few years ago. Um, but the reason it was so kind of narrow was to make you really feel claustrophobic that when you reach this next scene and it's huge and it's ginormous in scale, it really just makes you like, it's a, it's a wow moment, you know? Um, but in the original version of the ride, we come out to the ship and the fort and their battle. And the captain on the ship was kind of modeled after Blackbeard. He wasn't actually Blackbeard, but you know, he had a black beard. Um, and he was kind of just a, a regular pirate captain, but in the 2006 refurbishment, um, they changed the pirate captain to be Hector Barbosa. So we have Hector Barbosa up on the ship and he's voiced by Jeffrey Rush, of course. Um, and the ship and the fort are currently locked in an epic battle. And this ship here is actually named the Wicked Wench. Um, which is very cool because it really ties into the actual Pirates of the Caribbean movies in Dead Men Tell No Tales. Um, the ship that, you know, when Salazar is destroying all the ships, the one ship survives is the Wicked Wench. And that actually happens to end up being the Black Pearl because we see young Jack Sparrow and he, you know, he kills Salazar and everything. And that ship later becomes the Black Pearl, um, you know, once it's burned by Cutler Beckett. Um, once it's raised by Davy Jones, it's all charred black, so it becomes the Black Pearl. Um, but it is cool. This ship here is actually called the Wicked Wench. It was originally called the Wicked Wench, and they adapted the name into the movies. Um, and part of the dialogue here, of course, you know, is strike your colors, you blooming cockroaches. I just, I, I love that. I love that line so much. Um, but it's just really cool, like the actual... The effects of the sky is really well done. The ship looks so good. It's it's you know it's like a full scale pirate ship just in the middle of this you know like right in front of you. It's really awesome. And you have cannonballs going between the ship and the fort. Um, there's splashes in the water. Um, it really just it's really really fun. Um, but on the fort, of course, you can see the Spanish soldiers who are firing back um, and. I guess before we really get too far into this, we should talk about um, where this is in Pirates of the Caribbean lore. Um, so, of course, this wasn't originally named in 1967, but um, later on, it became known as Isla Tesoro. And that is the whole island um, that, you know, we see in this ride that we're about to get into. And on this um, island, Isla Tesoro, um, the main port that we go into here is uh, Puerto Dorado. So those are some names for you if you're going for some more actual lore and story. Um, that is the actual place we are sacking right now. Um, and the new story, once they added Barbosa and Jack Sparrow in here, is um, it, we don't really know when this takes place. I'm guessing it would take place before Curse of the Black Pearl. Maybe it's after... Um, at World's End. Could be either, but we really don't know. Um, but Barbosa, of course, is looking for Jack Sparrow. He has some dialogue like, where be Captain Jack Sparrow? Um, and we don't see Jack until a little bit later in the ride. Um, but Barbosa and his crew, they're searching for Jack. Um, so they come to um, the port of Puerto Dorado on the island of Ila, of Ila Tesoro to find Jack Sparrow, who is looking for the treasure. Um, the infamous treasure of Ila Tesoro. So as we go past this ship and the fort, um, they're both being bombarded on, and we go past them, and we go into the port of Puerto Dorado, and we see our first real show scene, which is um, the well, which is one of my favorites. Um, so we have a pirate crew here who have captured the magistrate, of um, Puerto Dorado, um, who is known as Carlos, and he is being dunked into a well, um, and the pirate captain is ordering him to tell him where the treasure is, 
Um, and well, the original dialogue, he was asking where the treasure is. Um, but now in the new version, of course, they're all looking for Jack Sparrow. So now he says, where be Captain Jack Sparrow? Um, and Carlos, of course, doesn't want to talk. Um, he's like, I am no chicken. I will not talk. And they drop him down on the well again. And his wife is up in the window and she opens the shutters and she's like, don't tell him, Carlos, don't be chicken. And then one of the pirates uh, shoots at her and she closes the shutters. Um, and I just, this scene is so cool. I think it's so awesome. It's really great, like kind of first scene to show all the pirates. Um, and if you notice when Carlos comes up, his, um, his garments are wet, but he's not actually being dunked in water in that well there. Um, so of course, you know, if you constantly keep dunking something in water, it's running daily hundreds and hundreds of times, it's not going to do so well. So, um, Alice Davis, who was the costume designer, what she thought of was coating, um, Carlos's clothing into, um, a mineral oil and that kind of gave the perpetually wet um, look to his clothes and he wasn't actually getting wet so they kind of solved that problem there and next up we come into the probably the most iconic scene of this entire ride which is the auction scene um, and of course the auction scene was um, pretty substantially changed a few years ago so we're gonna talk about both versions um, and kind of compare the story then and now the story now, which I think the story now, I think, kind of ties everything together a little bit better. Um, but let's talk about the original version. So the original version, you would go through this scene, and on the left side of the boat, um, you would see the auctioneer up top, and he was trying to auction off a bunch of women to be wed to the pirates. So the sign said, um, auction, take a wench for a bride. And he was currently trying to sell Tiny, who is the, the lady who is up right next to the auctioneer. Um, but the pirates across the way were not interested in her. They just wanted the redhead. They constantly said, we want the redhead. Um, and that became probably the most iconic line um, from this entire attraction um, over the years. And of course, the redhead was standing there kind of showing off um, to these pirates, getting their attention. Um, and let's talk a bit about the redhead animatronic real quick. The original redhead, um, very, very strangely, um, from the, from the waist down, she's nothing but a pole. She is nothing but a, than a pole from the waist down, which is very, very, you, you, you would never know. In the, of course, in the original animatronic, you would never know. So Alice Davis and her team had to kind of build these clothes around nobody being there. So it is kind of kind of funny. Um, but that was kind of the story of the original version. And as I said, it became very iconic, very famous um, with the line, we once the redhead and the redhead and everything became very famous. Um, but a few years ago, I think back in 2017, I can't remember now, um, they, Disney announced that they were changing the auction scene to be a little more, um, a little more progressive with the times, um, because it, you know, it, I mean, you, you understood, um, uh, when you're going through this ride that uh, you kind of understood everything, but with changing audiences, you know, 50 years later, it wasn't really having the same effect. It was kind of a little more strange and it wasn't, um, it wasn't kind of in the best, um, terms of interest. So Disney changed the scene to be a little better. Um, and they didn't really change much about it, but a lot of people got very, very mad. As I said, because this scene became so popular that any changes to it made people really angry. Um, and so let's talk about what they changed. So it was no longer a wench auction. It was a auction for items that the pirates had stolen from the, the people of Puerto Dorado. Um, the auctioneer was still there. Tiny was still there and the redhead was still there. But of course the redhead was now a pirate and her name now is red. Um, 
And so, of course, as I talked about earlier, the, the portrait of things to come that Mark Davis did back when the ride opened, that is in the ride since it opened, actually came true. So I find that really cool. Um, but I really love the change. I think it's really cool. Um, I do understand why people got mad. I was originally mad when they announced the change, but once I saw it, I was I was fine with it. You know, it, it's still a fun scene. It still gets the point across. It's just not really offensive anymore, which I, I think is great. You know, for, a, a, for an attraction to even last over 50 years in a theme park is very amazing in its own right. So um, the fact that they're constantly updating it, making it more new, adding new things is fun for me because I just want more Pirates of the Caribbean. So give me all the new changes. Um, but Red, the redhead, is now a pirate, aiding the auctioneer, um, selling off things that they've stolen from Puerto Dorado. And the auctioneer here, he is probably my favorite character in this attraction. He was also the most, um, the most advanced animatronic in the entire attraction when it opened, because he had the most movements of any animatronic that they had done so far. Um, of course... Not anymore is he the most advanced, but he was really advanced for his time as he had so much movement and he looked so lifelike back in the 60s and he still does today. Um, but also cool little voice acting um, thing here. Red is actually voiced by Gray Griffin, who a very well-known voice actor. You know, she voiced Azula in Avatar The Last Airbender. She voices Daphne in Scooby-Doo, amazing voice actor. So that is her voice as Red. Um, but as we... Uh, go past the auction scene here we go into um, the scene which is titled the chase and this was also a scene that was changed very dramatically to kind of better suit the times as well but that was not in a very very recent refurbishment that was um, a long while ago back um, in the early 2000s or the late night the late 90s so the 1997 refurbishment um, where they changed this so let's talk about the original version first and then we'll talk about the new version so the original version um, was pirates chasing women on those turntables. Um, There's kind of multiple turntables in the background, and there was pirates that were chasing the women. And there were um, pirates, of course, there's pirates drinking here in the middle. And on the right side of the scene was this character known as the Pooped Pirate. And that is, that is his official name. Um, or the poop pirate, or he's also called the buccaneer. Um, but yeah, that's his name pretty much. Um, so in the original version, um, this pirate was holding a, um, it was holding a handkerchief from a, a woman that he was trying to find. And, um, in the barrel right behind him, the woman he was looking for would peek out from the barrel. And, in that 1997 refurbishment, this whole scene was changed to be a little more progressive and not as awkward to really kind of look at. Um, and on the turntables in the background, um, the women were changed to be chasing the pirates. Um, and then the pooped pirate was um, looking for whoever stole his fish. And in the barrel, um, the cat or the dog would come up with the the bones of the fish he was looking for because they were all eating instead of looking for women. And then it was changed again in the 2006 refurbishment to add Jack Sparrow. Um, and now the pooped pirate slash the buccaneer. He is looking for Jack Sparrow because he has a key to the treasure. Um, and as long as he has the key, Jack Sparrow can't get it. But little does he know that Jack Sparrow is in the barrel behind him. Um, so that is the latest version of the scene. So, of course, this scene has probably been changed the most in the ride. It's been changed twice um, from the original version. And after that scene, um, we right before we get to the next big scene, we have a little vignette um, of a pirate known as Old Bill. Um, and he is the, the, the cat pirate, as some people call him. He is um, trying to share a drink with a bunch of cats who have um, kind of grouped up with him. And we see his little vignette as we go into the next big giant scene, which is the burning town, which is such an awesome scene. There's so much going on in this scene. 
Um, this is when we actually get to see the song Yo-Ho, Pirate's Life for Me being played and sung by our little trio of pirate, the, our pirate band here. Um, and as we pass by them, we get to the big burning town scene with a bunch of pirates just laying waste to Puerto Dorado. Um, and all these special effects um, were created by Yale Gracie, um, who has done all the special effects in this ride. He also um, was the big special effects guy behind the Haunted Mansion as well with all those ghosts and everything. So he is a genius and he designed this fire effect um, that would actually make it look like, well, everything was on fire. And it looked so convincing that a few months after the ride opened in 1967, this scene actually did catch on fire and no one knew if it was real fire because of the fake fire. Um, so it, it was crazy because the real fire actually started melting the animatronics faces and it was very gruesome. Um, but you wouldn't even really be able to tell if it was real fire because it looked so convincing. So how did Yale Gracie achieve this? Well, let me quickly talk about how he created this fire. So the original version of the effect, um, Yale Gracie, he used um, some mylar and he cut them into flame shaped pieces and he lit them from below with you know red, orange and yellow lights. Um, and then they would kind of be blown by a fan to kind of make it look like they were actually kind of burning flames. And it actually looked really, really good. It was a really convincing effect. There was actually a fire, a fireman who rode the ride. And he was like, was that scene actually on fire or not? Like he couldn't tell, which was really impressive for a special effects standpoint. Um, but now the effect has been kind of redone and kind of perfected a bit more. Um, and they replaced the mylar with um, some white satin cloth. Um, that reflected the lights and fluttered even more. Um, so that is kind of the new updated version of the original special effect. So as we go through the scene, we see some pirates that are so drunk that they're about to fall down. We see another pirate who has a dozen hats on his head and he's carrying a chest. And he's trying to get into a rowboat, but he has one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat and he literally cannot uh, make it back to either. And as we go look to the right side of the scene, we get to see a little vignette of a pirate um, with a bunch of pigs, um, and he's having the time of his life. And as we go, um, before we go to the next scene, right above us is one more pirate um, dangling a hairy leg as he drinks his rum. Um, and this pirate was also voiced by Exitencio, who wrote the script and the song Yo-Ho. So we go through this tunnel into the next scene, which is maybe maybe this is the most iconic scene of the ride, um, but this is the jail scene. This is the iconic scene with the three pirates in the, um, the jail cell trying to get the dog with the key to come over to them. Um, you know, one has a bone, one has a rope, um, and they're trying to get that dog to come over to them so, he, so the dog can give them the keys. And this, of course, also in Curse of the Black Pearl, if you remember. Um, and the dog with the keys has become a, a very important character in Pirates of the Caribbean, the movies. Um, but this scene is so cool, so iconic at this point. Um, I don't think I need to really say anything else about it. Um, it really just speaks for itself. And as we go through the jail, we have a lot of kind of burning timbers. The fire from outside is starting to kind of eat up the wood of the inside building we're in. So you have a lot of creaking and croak and groaning sounds as the wood is starting to give way. Um, we go into one of the last scenes of the ride, which is the arsenal scene. So a bunch of pirates at this point, they've gotten completely drunk and they are just having a shooting contest. Little do they know, they think it's all barrels of rum, but they're actually all just sitting on a bunch of explosive barrels um, that are literally marked Explosivo. So they're all just sitting up on these barrels. They're having the time of their life. Thankfully, they don't, they're not hitting any, any of these barrels, but they're shooting each other, trying to shoot the barrels. Um, and 
in one of the original scripts for the ride, they actually named two of these pirates. So the pirate on the right side with the jug of rum and the flintlock in his hand, his name is Billy Howe. And then there, on the left side of the scene, there's a pirate who's kind of laying on a cannon. His name, according to the script, was Mr. Coot. Um, and they had some original dialogue, and Mr. Coot would say, Avast there, Billy Owl. Let's see your pop at all one of them, the rum barrels. And then Billy Howe would say, Lord love me, mate. I'll do it with me eyes closed. And of course, they are smashed. Um, and they are having a shooting contest trying to shoot these barrels they think are rum they are not rum so hopefully they uh they don't hit any of those but as they um have this shooting contest um we start to go up a big lift hill taking us back up into the um the main building of the ride and this arsenal scene is actually in the original basement of the um the attraction and, of course, we're going up this lift hill because we went down those two waterfalls. We have to go back up to get to that main building where we loaded on the boats. And right on the left side of the ride, we have one last scene that was um, added in the 2006 refurbishment um, to the ride for the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, and this was the treasure room scene. Now, this is actually a scene that debuted um, in the Walt Disney World version of the ride when that opened in 1973. There was a treasure room um, in that version of the ride, um, and with the Pirates of the Caribbean movie refurbishment, they added this scene over into Disneyland's version. So, of course, we see Jack Sparrow, who has now found the treasure. He has succeeded, and, of course, he's voiced by Johnny Depp here. Um, and he is singing uh, Yo-Ho, Pirate's Life for Me. So then we go up the large inclined ramp. And um, they used to have some scenes on the left side that were actually replaced by the treasure room. So they used to actually have scenes of um, some pirates trying to haul up their treasure in one of their Jolly Roger flags. Um, but it was too heavy for them. There was also a scene of some skeletons of pirates who were trying to haul treasure out as well, um, showing that, you know, these pirates were never going to make it to begin with. But those were both replaced with that treasure room. So after all that, we have now gone up the ramp and we're back into the bayou of Louisiana. And we cruise through a little last piece of track and we get to see that last little scene there on the right, which is what you see when you come into the, the building for the ride with the chest, the parrot, and the um, the skull and crossbones flag um, as a last little thing to see before we get off the ride. And there's also a cool little map in here as well of Ila Tesoro that was added in with the 2006 refurbishment. Um, and just like that, we go back to Lafitte's Landing and we disembark our boats. And that is the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Disneyland. So we have now made it through the entirety of the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction at Disneyland. Of course, there are some changes in other versions of the ride because the ride also exists in Walt Disney World, Disneyland Paris, Tokyo Disneyland, and Shanghai Disneyland. So it pretty much exists in every single Disney park around the world. Um, the Walt Disney World version is very similar to Disneyland's. Um, it just has some scenes that are not present and some minor changes um, and the Paris version actually kind of reverses the entire track um, and Tokyo's is pretty much a direct comparison of Disneyland's but we'll do another episode talking about the differences with Paris and Walt Disney World because Paris actually has a pretty unique one um, and they also have a really cool animatronic of Barbosa in there so I'll talk about that at some point. And Shanghai Disneyland actually has a completely different Pirates of the Caribbean ride that is themed around the movies. Um, so it has Jack Sparrow, Davy Jones is in it, um, and that is called Battle for the Sunken Treasure. And we'll be doing a whole episode on that and the entire Pirates of the Caribbean land that is in Shanghai Disneyland called Treasure Cove, um, which has a lot of really cool movie references. So that'll be a whole new episode to look forward to sometime in the future when we cover Treasure Cove and Battle for the Sunken Treasure. But... I hope you enjoyed this voyage through the Caribbean on the original Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Um, if you've been to a Disney park and if you've experienced the ride, um, I hope you enjoy it. 
I was I certainly enjoy it a lot. It's my favorite ride. Um, but if you haven't gone to a Disney park yet, um, I hope this kind of serve as a pretty good replacement for not for going on the ride. Um, and I hopefully I hope that you get one day get out there and ride it for yourself because it's a really really fun attraction. Um, it's so classic and is really what started this entire Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. So of course this is the start of season two and we have a whole bunch of new episodes that will be coming out and we'll kind of be broadening out to the larger world of Pirates of the Caribbean um, sort of away from the movies just for a little bit. So of course we have not covered On Stranger Tides and Dead Men Tell No Tales in full yet but we will be doing that some point soon. Um, I just wanted to kind of get and break away and do some other Pirates of the Caribbean stuff away from the main films um, because there's a lot of stuff to cover. So I want to thank you so much for listening. If you've um, reviewed the podcast or rated it anywhere, thank you so much. Um, there's been a lot and a lot of new listeners recently, which is very awesome to see. So thank you so much for listening. Um, I'll see you next time in the next episode of Podcasts of the Caribbean. Podcasts of the Caribbean is in no way affiliated with Disney. If you want to send me an email or a question, send it over to podcastofthecaribbean at gmail.com. You can also follow this podcast on Twitter at podcastpotc and on Instagram at podcastofthecaribbean. I post some content, other fun trivia and stuff over there, so make sure you go check it out. And be sure to keep a weather eye on the horizon, and always remember, dead men tell no tales.